We actually have a listener question this week. It comes from Gerald. Gerald asks, what the hardest part about show and tell the deck is? We shouldn't be talking about this because it doesn't matter. Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, fellow Noble Hierarch aficionado, Tom Smiley. And we're here to bring you our thoughts on this fledgling new legacy format. I don't know how much Noble Hierarch I'm going to be playing. I think it depends on a few things this week. We we realized this weekend with our gauntlet that there's a Noble Hierarch deck we're not really used to playing that maybe performed really well. Yeah, but it's not it's not Bant, and I'm sad. I'm sad it's probably not going to have True Name in it. It's not the Bant deck we're used to, but it, it can be a Bant deck, right? Are we talking about Infect? Indeed, we're talking about Infect. I don't know if we want to junk up our mana base with Savannah and Bant stuff on the sideboard, but there are definitely people that have done it. Yeah, so what I'm thinking is I might not mind having an extra land to bring in anyway against like these, these Rug Delver decks, like having that Savannah. I don't feel like it's as dead of a spot in the sideboard, like a 20th land, you know? If uh, if we can bring that in just against these Wasteland matchups, just to have more mana sources, you know, not be stifleable, just just a land drop. I could see that. We tested on, uh, what day was that? Saturday or Sunday? That was That was Saturday. We put together a gauntlet of what we thought we were going to be seeing over the beginnings of this format. We had some some decks come out of it far ahead of the others. I don't know if you want to go over which ones that we tested and what our results were. Yeah, so we proxied up. We had, what, Miracles, Blue-White, Red Blade, uh, Sneak and Show, Death and Taxes. I think we had two different builds of Death and Taxes. Rug Delver. Uh, someone brought a bug list. I'm not sure if it was a bug delver, bug midrange. Yeah, it was a hierarch reduke build. Okay, yep. And then we had um, infect, and is that is that everything? I think that we tested some black red reanimator as oh, well. Oh right, yep. We definitely had the decks that came out of this weekend, sort of ahead of the field, metagame wise. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. Where we started last week. When looking at this new meta, we started at Sneak and Show, and the way that I felt was that it was the Tier 1 deck that lost the least with this ban, and it was just, you know, an objectively powerful deck, and I think you agreed that it was certainly where some people were going to start in this format, and looking at the challenge results, first and second place went to Sneak and Show. Now, it was the only two decks in the top 32, the only two Sneak and Show appearances in the top 32, but that's certainly uh, certainly a big target on its back for next week in Worcester. Sneaking Show is obviously very powerful, but I'm worried that there were a lot more people in the challenge that played Sneaking Show that didn't quite make it there. It seemed like it had a very high variance result when it really? came when it when it came down to looking at how everything ended and. Seeing what the expected meta would be from the data that we ended up getting sent to us doesn't lead me to think that Sneak and Show is still like the place that you want to be. 
So I don't think that it's necessarily the the best deck for this meta or anything, but I think what it is is the strongest build. Like that was a 60 that had been really tested, and you, you actually saw it fork a little. And this is kind of kind of going back to before the bans, but some people had started playing like Simeon Spirit Guide and Days, like this more linear all-in sneak and show with no omnis in the main board or even in the sideboard. And so there was that fork, but basically you had these 60 card really tight lists. And that's sort of what everything else is missing, right? Like, people are going back to these 60-card lists for Rug that were good in, like, 2013, or these 60-card lists for Death and Taxes that were good in a Gataxian Probe Death Rate Shaman format. I don't know that any of these 60s have really been hashed out other than Sneak and Show and another deck that did really well, which was Aggro Loam. When I saw that there were three Aggro Loam decks that had their list published from the Legacy Challenge... I I was trying to think about why, and obviously it's because Chalice is very good right now. The most popular decks that you see, Death and Taxes, it's not outstanding, but it's okay. Rug Delver, it's amazing against. Miracles, it is very good against. And even Sneak and Show, shutting off the cantrips, it isn't the worst. I think that the reason that a lot of people switched over to Agrolom is because they wanted to play a Chalice build and the mono-red Stompies just aren't as well-positioned with as much Death and Taxes. Because Death and Taxes, from the data we were sent, had the highest metagame share out of any of the decks that were seen online. Basically, the trophy leader of last Legacy season online, Eric Landon, has been tracking all of his matches since the unbans and he gave me the data for his first 50 out of those 50 matches nine of them were against death and taxes which if you try to extrapolate it out leaves like death and taxes about 18 percent of the metagame which seems similar to what i was seeing when i was playing online yeah i think rug too right he had like seven or eight matches against rug i believe yeah the top five the ones that really showed up Death and Taxes was number one at 18%. Rug Delver okay. was number two at 14 Miracles was number three at 10 which I think last week we said that we, we thought that Miracles was could potentially be the third most popular deck. And that, like it, it was. Sneak and Show was right below that, and then Mono Red Stompy. Yeah, interesting. I think we, we did peg it right around 10% too with Miracles, so let's pat yeah. ourselves on the back a little. We can we can take credit for small sample sizes and getting lucky. I will, <laughs> I will definitely, definitely do that. Yeah, so with Agrolome, I honestly think you're selling it a, a little bit short because, so yeah, it's a Chalice deck. And what I was saying last week is that I believed it was the right deck to bring if you expected to see True Name Nemesis. Now, it's got a lot of like sideboard options that are minus one, minus one effects or minus X with Toxic Deluge. And it has main deck edicts with Liliana. And I realized that that's also probably really good against death and taxes, right? I mean, I, I, I've never been on either side of that matchup. I've never at a big tournament played either of those decks. But I have to imagine that aggro alone must beat up on death and taxes, right? Yeah, I mean, if you can beat up on true name, then you can beat up on death and taxes. There's a bunch of good removal and removal that gets around protection. 
So after Sideboard, the Aggro Balloon player has a very, very good matchup against what Death and Taxes is trying to do. Yeah, I agree. So if you're looking at Rug and Death and Taxes as one and two, I think Aggro Loam's a great place to be. And I really don't think... Last week we talked about the negative combo matchup that they have. And I thought some more about it. And I thought back to, I believe it's the Legacy Mediocre League uh, that I was watching. This is going back like about a year. But there was a, a match, and I want to say it was Thomas Enavoldson was playing... Um, Agro Loam against Show and Tell, and he actually took it 3-0. Not that this, you know, sample size matters or anything. I'm not saying it's a good matchup, but there was a lot more play in the deck than I thought. You know, you've got so many draws into a Caracas because you have them naturally, and then you have the Knights to go grab them, and you have, you know, four Thoughtseizes coming in usually post board, and Turn One Chalice is a good play. You know, Turn One Bob is a good play too. Yeah, Bob can definitely pull you ahead in matchups that aren't pressuring your life total, like Sneak and Show. And I guess thinking about it, in a meta that does have a lot of Death and Taxes and Rug Delver, Mox Diamond ends up being a very strong card. The Mana Denial packages, it just sort of skips right ahead of. Yeah, certainly Game 1 is a great card, it seems. And also, you know, the, the build that I saw online, the one that caught my eye, actually had a main deck Vindicate and was really sort of leaning into the white, you know, with Containment Priest and Canonist in the sideboard. Main deck Teague, main deck Vindicate, and uh, Ramanap Excavator main deck, which is exciting. I was excited to think about playing that card when we started to talk about Greenstone Zenith last week in Bant. And it's just never sort of come together in Legacy yet. But if the deck can take advantage of that, then, then I'm all for it. Yeah, so there were three, I believe, aggro loam decks in the top 32, and two of them had 15 points, and one of them made top eight. So that's a really good finish. So you were saying that with Sneak and Show, you were afraid that there were a lot of Sneak and Show decks that didn't make this? No, I mean, we don't we don't know that, right? Right, we so don't we know, know that. We know, we know Sneak and Show finished 1-2, but right. we don't know about any of the other ones. And in fact, like, I don't like a lot of this challenge data. Like, we're looking at the top 32, but really, the last 10 decks that placed there, like, those decks were 4 and 3. So, if you just sort of go through and you count the number to try to get an idea of what the meta game, like, the winner's metagame was, you see 6 Rug Delver decks, but half of those decks were 4 and 3. If I was doing... If I was actually trying to take a look at, like, what decks performed well, Rug didn't do it i agree and that's why i don't i don't actually think that i mean there might have been a lot of sneak and show decks at the bottom but i don't have any reason to think that because there are no five two sneak and show lists and there are no you know we have half the four three lists there are no sneak and show lists there so if sneak and show was well positioned for this tournament that makes me think maybe there were a couple in like the three four or low four threes but you know seeing two of them rise to the top where you see, you know, with Rug, or you see with Storm decks, there's there's a bunch in this, like, lower 5-2, upper 4-3 bracket. I'm worried that what happened was we don't see any Reanimator on this. None. And Reanimator is kind of a natural predator to show and tell, to where in the earlier rounds, when those Reanimator players were active in the bracket that mattered, 
they they could have taken down some sneaky choke players with them. And the ones that sort of made it through the first few rounds without seeing Reanimator went on to do well. You have this beginning of the tournament where its worst matchup is around, and the decks that made it through that ended up doing very well. Yeah, I think that's plausible. I would expect, though, to see at least one or two reanimators, you know, in this top 32, which which we don't. It, it's a plausible theory, but I'm definitely going to have Sneak on my radar going into Worcester. With its performance, it's definitely going to be something that a lot of people who are undecided pick up. So one thing that I heard speculated in the last few days is that there was going to be an abundance of graveyard hate because everybody thought, oh, reanimator is a natural place to go without death right. So people were going to be packing two surgicals to rest in peace or four ley lines in the board where you don't typically see ley lines. And going through these lists, I did actually notice some of that, some strange places for ley lines. But then we see two dredge decks in this top 32, including one in the top eight. Dredge can play around surgical surprisingly well with Silent Gravestone. And the type of graveyard hate really matters. Rest in peace is something that Dredge just has such a terrible time dealing with that if we think that Death and Taxes is going to be one of the most played decks, it's not a place where I'd really want to be. A lot of people were really focused on Surgical as their answer to Black Red, and that allows Dredge to sort of still function. Yeah, I agree with that. So also in the top eight, we saw a deck we didn't talk about last week, actually, other than peripherally, which is Eldrazi. I think I believe that was the only appearance in the top 32, but I started to think a little more about it, and I don't think Eldrazi's in the worst position. I think it's probably better than it was, you know, going back a couple weeks. It probably is better positioned, but is it in a good position? You couldn't pay me to play that deck. I mean, if I'm playing a Chalice deck, I think I'm, I'm playing Aggro Loam, right? This tournament really does show the strength of Chalice right now. If we take a look at the decks that finished 5 and 2 or better, and there were 22 of them, there were 6 Chalice decks out of 22, which is more than 25% of the winner's metagame if we count the 15-point or better decks. That's scary. It is a very scary place to be. Yeah, definitely. I didn't even put that together, but yeah, you're absolutely right. So another thing that we saw was the Miracles decks. I believe um, one of them might have been like 5-2, or maybe they both were 5-2, but you know, not tracking top 8 or anything. And actually, the two Miracles builds, if I recall, they're pretty different. One of them had three Jace, two Teferi, and then one of them was on two or three Mentors main. Yeah, now there was one Miracles build that was X and 2 or better. And that actually had three Flusterstorm main deck, and that was oh, a three yeah. days, two, two Teferi build. That was something that I haven't seen ever. And there was a four and three Miracles build that had two Mentor and a Back to Basics main. Right, yep. One thing that I saw in our testing was how great Planeswalkers were if you were able to get enough basics to be able to cast them. The greedy three, four-color mana bases of the past, you, you just can't get away with anymore. Death and Taxes and Rug Delver just sort of shredded those decks that we had in the gauntlet. But the decks that had a lot of basic planes and a lot of basic islands, Jace was just great. It was a lot better in testing for me than it had been in a very long time. 
I agree. And were you able to jam any games? I, I had to leave early, so I don't know. Were you able to play any Bant in the Gauntlet? Because I wasn't. I didn't test Bant. One, because once we started testing and saw what decks were winning, those were ones I, I didn't really feel comfortable playing Bant against. So I decided to scrap even testing it because we sort of had a limited amount of time. Yeah, that makes sense. And notably absent from this list, Bant altogether. And I know a lot of people had been trying it online. I'd seen it online this past week, so... There are a few chats that I was involved in where people were, were like really high on Bant, thinking that you can just replace Deathrite Shaman with Greenson Zenith, and everything was going to be okay. But it just it hasn't worked out the way that those people thought. And right now, when you take a look at the decks that are doing well, they're the decks that have very solid mana bases. Uh, the Eldrazi deck in the top eight excluded you see quite a few decks that have just very solid basic land mana bases. And if Rug and Death and Taxes are the top two decks that are taking up about 30% of the meta, that makes absolute sense why that's true. Yeah, I agree. And also, we didn't see any elves in this top 32 of the challenge, which, which honestly surprised me. I thought against Rug and Death and Taxes that elves would be a reasonable place to go. And maybe, you know, maybe the elves pilots just didn't show up for this tournament. We don't know. That's probably it. I mean, regardless of Deathrite Shaman not being in the deck anymore, elves just has a crushing matchup against Death and Taxes. Although, with more people picking up Containment Priest, it could knock elves down a little bit. Containment Priest is a beating against the elves deck. Yeah, that's the only way you win that matchup, typically. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Maybe the biggest omission from this top 32 is Merit Lage in general, right? I was surprised by that. Not, I was surprised that it was completely absent. I know that Miracles has enough removal to generally get through it, and Death and Taxes is probably its worst matchup. And I thought that one or two of those pilots would be able to sort of dodge those matchups to get in. But again, we don't know what people showed up with. So it could have just been underrepresented in the field. Yeah, we don't. But over the past, you know, six months or whatever, I've seen plenty of turbo depth. I have to believe that there were some turbo depth pilots in this tournament. Just like I would guess that there were quite a few reanimator pilots in the tournament as well. Yep, fair. So last week at the end of the call, we were talking about, you know, if we had to play tomorrow in Worcester, what decks would we play? And my suggestion at that point, I was thinking either Bant, Infect, or possibly Blue-Red. You were thinking Bant or uh, like a Blue-White-Red Blade list. How do you feel now? After going through all of the testing and sort of seeing what the results were from the challenge, I'm more undecided. I would 100% be on board for just packing Sneak and Show if I thought that it was going to be in the best position. We have a little bit of extra time to prepare to see what happens this week. But Sneak and Show, Sneak and Show is on that list now. Infect did surprisingly well in our testing, and that's something that I am going to be playing online this week to get more of a handle on. So my top two right now would actually be Sneak and Show and Infect. And then my second tier would be Death and Taxes or, surprisingly, Agrolome. I dumped <laughs> all over I, I know. I went from dumping all over it on the cast last week. And 
it makes a lot more sense to me now why it did well. The Mox Diamond, Chalice, and some grindy mid-range cards really match up well if the meta is going to be Rug and Death and Taxes. So regardless of what I said last week, that's probably my fourth choice going into the weekend. Interesting. Yeah, I believe the quote was, I wish they would have just picked one of the decks that they're stuck in between because they're all better. But no, I've, I've actually felt the same way about that deck. And I told you, I had that deck sleeved up before and just decided not to play it at the last minute. You know, it's a scary choice because you, you feel really helpless not sleeving up Brainstorms. But being like more of a control deck, you know, that's not like some all-in linear deck or anything. You're, you're yeah. very reliant on the top of your library. I do feel like that's in my second tier of decks that I might play, but I do think it's very unlikely that I sleeve it up as well. Yeah, the two decks that I was talking about, like what it was trying to be, like on one side you have lands, and if a lot of people are going to end up picking up Sneak and Show, I'm not quite sure lands is where you want to be. And on the other side of it, you, you have the sort of Chalice Stompy decks, where if people are playing more resilient mana bases then you kind of don't want to go that direction either so being in the middle is is kind of a smart place to be agreed my leader in the clubhouse right now is definitely infect i had a lot of fun playing it in the gauntlet i tested the miracles matchup we played like 10 games and you know it used to be like super coin flippy very interesting games very fun games to play but now with Top Gone, I haven't played Infect since Top was banned, honestly. And, you know, now that matchup just feels a lot better. And a lot of the other matchups really haven't changed. So I, I just really like how it felt. It felt super efficient. And it's another one of those decks, like we talked about with Sneak and Show, where the 60 is, is pretty much settled. You know, at least, you know, maybe 57, 58 of the cards. You have some play in the sideboard right now. But that's like a, a time-tested list where a lot of these decks are sort of still feeling their way right now. Yeah, Rug is trying to figure out what the threat package that they're going to run is, whether it's Goyf, Mongoose, or some number of true name. Death and Taxes is trying to figure out whether or not Brightling or Mirren Crusader or more Sarah Avengers is good. And a lot of these decks that are in this sort of top tier are decks that really rely on a small number of spot removal spells to get them through the creature matchups. Rug might have six, Death and Taxes has four Swords to Plowshares, Sneak and Show isn't running anything, and Miracles has their Swords to Plowshares and Snapcaster Mages, and the whole deck list for Infect just sort of invalidates what those spot removal spells are trying to do. After you left, I tested on the Infect side, the blue-white-red-blade matchup. And that was a deck that was running four Swords to Plowshares, three Lightning Bolts, four Snapcaster Mages, and it didn't matter. The pre- We played four pre-board games and then six sideboarded games, and pre-board, it was three to one. The blue-white-red deck won one game on the back of an early JIT and getting it to connect. But all six of the sideboard games went to Infect. Getting the JIT online seemed too slow. And having Lightning Bolt and Swords to Plowshares wasn't as effective when the pump spells from the Infect deck combined with the soft counter spells just seemed to shrug those off. Yeah, I agree. And going back to, you know, the last time I played Infect, that was actually not the greatest matchup. But I think with Cyborg's now more geared towards combo, you know, maybe that's maybe that's just a temporary reaction. But it feels like a lot of the cards actually weren't right for Infect because, like, what are you bringing in? Containment Priest against Infect? No, you know, Canonist is great against Infect, but I didn't see a ton of those. And the, the other 
hate cards like your graph diggers cages your surgicals that that's nothing yeah in fact is the type of combo deck that dodges a lot of the sideboard hate that people are packing now especially if people see the challenge results and start to target sneak and show because it's different types of hate the problems that we saw when we were testing was that rug was the sub 50 percent matchup it kind of played out like a delver mirror agreed the thing that i really hated about playing infect was the blood moon stompy matchup that was on paper it looks like you know not much worse than like a deck like bant would have against blood moon but it played out you know horrifically like i'm not sure if i ever won that matchup honestly and what i'm hoping is that sneak and show and death and taxes can keep that that blood moon stompy deck down for this week yeah zach turgeon will show up with moon stompy but if anybody else is looking at what people are playing online and trying to project that into what people will play in paper if death and taxes is 15 percent of the meta you have to do a lot of convincing to get me to play moon stompy yeah i agree with that so what did you think about the storm decks performance i think there were two ant decks and a test deck or no sorry vice versa two test decks and an ant deck in this top 32 I took a look at the lists and it looked like, you know, I'm not like an expert on these lists, but it looked like they had added in like thought seizes and I think one list had like an extra land compared to where they used to be. Yeah. It looks like they're still performing pretty well. I know Bryant just swapped them for thought seizes. And when we take a look at the actual breakdown and how it went, two of those storm decks were published, but were four and three. So if we take a look at what happens with the five and two decks or better, there was only one of them, and it ran four Thoughtseize and four Chrome Mocks. So obviously Storm is still playable. It's something that you need to watch out for, but I don't think its presence changes in the metagame. It's still just about where it was before with the same pilots playing it. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to pick it up right now. Like They think it's so well-positioned or anything. Right, because it's not. And the time investment to get into the deck to learn how to play it well lends itself to a lot of people who take that time to learn it, not switching away from it, when it might not be super well-positioned. Right. So another thing that I wanted to point out about this list that we kind of talked about is the underperformance relative of the, the rug decks. So we had, I, I think, like six of them in the top 32 of this challenge, and they were all, you know, on the outside looking in of the top eight. A lot of four threes, a lot of five twos. And I think that might be what four stifles is going to get you in this meta, because there's a lot of matchups where it's just an awkward card. I don't know exactly what it was like, you know, in 2013, you know, how good Stifle was then, what decks you were going to face then. But it feels to me like this deck isn't in its final form yet. I feel like it is. That if you play Rug, if you're playing your four days, two Pierce, or three Pierce builds with Delver, Mongoose, Goyf, probably, you're kind of locked into playing Stifle. Because if you're not willing to devote those four spots for extra land destruction, your threats get outclassed very quickly. And you need those to keep it in a low mana environment. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just part of building Rug Delver. I can't see another build of Rug that decides to drop Stifle but still play Mongoose. Oh, I definitely wouldn't advocate dropping Stifle. I was just thinking of shaving one or two. And adding what? I don't know. That's a tough question. Whether it's Flusterstorm, I've seen, seen like I've seen two Spell Snare, two Spell Pierce lists. 
Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the stock for now. Okay. But if you are making the switch from Stifle because it isn't very good to move over to Flusterstorm, there are just as many decks that Flusterstorm is just worse at. Than yeah, Stifle. you're right. Actually, I don't know why that came to my mind. Looking at this list, you that they basically overlap entirely. So that that's definitely not where I would go. Whatever Rugless ends up doing the best in one of these first few paper tournaments, whether it's Worcester or Philly, the threat package that they use is going to get copied by a bunch of people. Yeah, let's hope, let's hope it doesn't have Bomat Courier. Well, speaking of Bomat Courier, there was a there was a Grixis deck that wasn't dead that actually just straight up replaced Deathrite Shaman with Bomat Courier, right? I think so. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it had like maybe three Gurmags. Uh, no, it had which four. Is, oh, four, yeah, four Gurmag Anglers. So that yeah. it, it had a little more velocity and maybe Thought Scours too. Yeah, there were four Thought Scours to fuel it. There was a Dark Blast, and I know that Zan was playing Grixis Delver with Bomat before the bans. Right. And he's, he's a very, very good player, but he had some good results with Bomat before the ban. That could be something that if we, we settle into Rug not being a great Delver combination... Bomat really fills the role in whatever other Delver deck needs another one drop. And it could be Grixis. Yeah, I haven't played with it at all, but it seems to be doing reasonably well. I keep seeing it pop up, so. One thing I was thinking about, we talked last week about Bog Delver and them not having a second one drop threat anymore. Or just blue black Delver in general. Like, there's not like a black one drop threat anymore. And I was listening to, uh, I believe the Salt Mine podcast mentioned Death Shadow. And I played against Death Shadow build in Seattle that I thought was really impressive, actually. Do you think that that could have any legs in this meta? It could. But one of the problems with that black-blue Death Shadow deck, the one that Josh Utter Layton ran in one of the Legacy Grand Prix going back a year or two, is everything costs one. So you move into the Delver, Thoughtseize, Death Shadow. You have Angler to back it up, but everything in that deck just gets crushed by Chalice. And there's going to be a lot of it. Obviously, it's a small sample size, and obviously we're just looking at one collection of decks that did well in the tournament, but greater than 25% of the 5 and 2 decks are better were Chalice-based. And I wouldn't want to be on a deck that relies more on one-drops than Rob Delver in a field like that. Yeah, I agree, actually, with the Chalice problem. I was sketching up a list earlier, and you have, like, you know, your maybe two Gurmag, two Tombstalker, and then, uh, you know, some Sinkholes or Hymns, depending on how you want to go with it. And then everything else is a one, right? So you have the option of reaching into green or reaching into red. And I think you can get Abrupt Decay, or you can get Kolagon's Command to help you out in those matchups. But basically, game one, if you think about it, you've got Force of Will, you've got Daze, you've got Thoughtseize. A lot of decks have issues with Chalice, and I think that, yeah, you look at the list and you have like 32 one-drops or something like that. But is this deck really that weak to Chalice if you if you lead with a with a Thoughtseize or you, you know, have a Daze back on turn one? I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's more like a visceral thing, but when you actually play the matchups, you know, you're not so extremely weak to Chalice. It could very well work out that way. But if we just take this recent challenge as a sample of what happens when Delver plays Chalice, Chalice won. And I can't see the black-blue deck being better against Chalice than Rug. It looks like Rug just got bodied. Yeah, no, I agree. And Ancient Grudge is a good card against Chalice, too, that that the blue-black deck would not have access to anymore. Yep. 
Well, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, I don't think we want to go too in-depth about Zombardment or Painter uh, unless you really want to. I think Painter was a fluke. The same thing <laughs> as Zombardment. Like, there's somebody who probably just really loves playing that deck, and now the Death Wrench Shaman is gone, they got to break out their zombies again. Yeah, but I'm not going to lie. That list looks fun. It looks like a lot of fun. It does look fun. It's another one of those decks where you can definitely play it, but I'm never going to. All right, one thing that I've been kind of thinking about is, like, the ideal build for Death and Taxes in this meta, right? It was pretty settled. I feel like the builds were pretty settled on, like, two Recruiter, two Mirroring Crusader, one Prelate in the main deck, and then you'd see a lot of two Sarah Avengers. I thought in the the pre-ban meta that two Mirror Crusaders was actually too low. I thought that was just one of the cards that you needed to close a whole bunch of matchups. And I played three, and it was almost always one of the best cards in the deck for me. That number gets trimmed down to one, and the deck really depends on what you want to replace those three drops with. Yeah, I've heard some talk of going down to zero Mirren Crusaders now, and I just don't believe that that's right. I feel like one Mirren Crusader is where you want to be, and like a recruiter package, it's just too strong of a card, right? It can get through, you know, whatever Delve creature you're talking about, Mandrills or Gurmag, and then it wears equipment so well, right? Yeah, and even if you are not in a matchup where the protection is super relevant, just having a double-striking creature that you can put an equipment on makes it worth the spot when you're able to tutor it up so easily. There are a lot of matchups where if you can just end up putting it into play off of Vile, it's just worth so much burst damage when you get to untap and swing with it. So what you're saying is you'd rather have Mirror Crusader than Breitling? So I think that I would rather have one mirroring crusader than zero mirroring crusaders but i think brightling ends up coming into the conversation with what you want to replace those three drops with i could see the build that i had previously dropping two crusader and adding two brightling now i don't think brightling is great against most of the top decks that we that we discussed except miracles is probably the best creature in your deck against miracles but it doesn't seem like it is the best against Rug Delver. Doesn't seem like it's going to be the best against Sneak and Show. And I think it really depends on how the meta settles with what creatures want to go in that spot. Maybe you want to add extra Revokers because Sneak and Show is here. And where Dex had dropped the number of Revokers down to three or down to two, maybe you want to bring that up and lower your mana curve to have more twos. And that could be right. Yeah, I think that, uh, I don't know the name, Remorseful Cleric maybe, Remorseless Cleric. I think that I would for sure be slotting one of those in right now. You know, Tormod's Crypt, basically, that you can violin starting turn three or just cast turn two. That card seems like a, a great thing to have in your toolbox. Just having it in your main deck, one, it saves you a sideboard slot. And with how easy it is to tutor creatures up, that can definitely hit people in a game one that they weren't expecting that effect to hit them. Exactly. Yeah, it seems super good to me. I don't know, man. This Brightling thing, I'm just I'm lost on it. I don't know. I looked at the card. I wasn't terribly impressed. Sometimes, you know, sometimes those cards have a power level that isn't obvious when you first see it. But with that one, I feel like I've had some time to think about it now, and I still don't see it. I It's not tutorable, right? So you're not finding it, which is, I think, something that you really want with your three drops. And Well, it, I don't think you need it in the matchups that it's good against. The most important line of text on that card is the bounce. Doesn't 
die. And in the matchups where that is going to be really good against Miracles, for example, they're just never getting rid of that. I think of that as more of like, you know, the card you'd want against an Abrupt Decay deck, right? Because it fades that, like you can just bounce it back to your hand. I uh, mean, wouldn't wouldn't you just want Mirror Crusader against Abrupt Decay decks? And the reason why we're cutting yeah, them is because okay, those yeah. aren't around. That's true. But you have Caracas, and you have all these legendary three drops. I think of Brimaz a lot. I don't know how when when that was last played in Death and Taxes, but you can bounce that with a Caracas too, right? So being able to return something to your hand doesn't seem like that real novelty to me with Death and Taxes. I I would agree that the returnability seems like it is less attractive because you can just play a legendary creature and use your Caracas, but that gives a Miracles player a window to, like, actually get it, whereas you can activate the Brightling more than once, and you're never going to set yourself up for a play where, like, it gets terminus you go to bounce it and they swords it right so yeah i guess you can activate it multiple times and if you have a vial on three that is just a threat that is never going away because you're always going to have more white mana than they have answers yeah it's super sticky i i can see that but I, I agree with you that something like Brimaz, or I hate to say this, but even going back and playing something like a Mangara might be okay. Well, really honestly, I had, a Mangara, I had a Mangara in my test deck. I think that it might be time for Mangara again. There are probably quite a few draws against Show and Tell where Mangara gets them, especially if you have access to it, because people haven't played with that card in a very long time. It's a fun I do, card. I do think that if I was playing Death and Taxes coming up soon, there would 100% be some Manriki Gusaris in the sideboard. You want something like that to break open the mirror, and there are going to be a lot of equipment-based decks that Manriki just breaks open for you. Yeah, I want to say the the two highest placing Death and Taxes decks from the challenge both had Manriki Gusari in the sideboard. Yeah, it's it's something that as coming from the ban side of that matchup, pre-ban, that was the one card that could sort of get them out of that lock when you could equip up a true name. Exactly. And the Death and Taxes mirror match a lot of times comes down to who can connect with Jit first, and having Manriki to keep your opponent off of it is something that's really important. Yeah, it seemed pretty good. And looking at this meta, you know, of non-DNT decks, they could just be playing Manriki for the mirror, but of non-DNT decks, there was like one Esper Blade deck in like the 4-3 region. So we really didn't see any blue-white-red. We we didn't see any Bant. So I don't know, you know, is Stoneforge just relegated to Death and Taxes for this weekend? Possibly. Well, it could be this weekend because the actual lists for Esper and Blue-White-Red haven't been sorted out. Like We talked about how Rug was still figuring out what cards it was going to play. Death and Taxes was still trying to figure out what cards it was going to play, and like Sneaking Show was one of those decks that was set. There are so many moving parts to Stoneblade that there's a lot of stuff that's up in the air. And in the metadata we have, there were zero Blue-White-Red decks in that 50-deck sample. There was one Esper deck. And I know that 50 is a small sample size, but there it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people who are actually sleeving up Blade. Even though I believe that Blue-White-Red is probably the best positioned out of all of them right now. Well, that's pretty depressing, actually, and you're totally right. You know, I'm looking at the two lists right now, and there's just there's just really not many blade decks here. It's a sad state of affairs. 
it is something that is kind of disappointing. But Legacy sort of settles from the top down, where the last, I don't know, four years at least, have been defined by the top deck. And then decks trying to get an edge in the matchup against the top deck, and then everything else sort of cascades down. We're at a spot right now where, like, you just had your beer poured, and it's all foam because your bartender didn't know what they were doing, and nothing settled. So once you get the first few decks starting to topple out of that mess, like Sneak and Show, I think that's one of the first ones that's clearly separated itself from the rest. Death and Taxes. And I think we're starting to see people realize that Rug Delver isn't the deck that they thought it was. And there'll be more things to come out of that realization. So one deck that we talked about, just like on and off chatting this week, is Dead Guy. I really don't think that it's the right deck to play this week, but I do think that if this meta settles the right way, where you have Rug and Death and Taxes at the top, I think that that's the deck, because it kind of sits on Death and Taxes, because you can play Dark Confidant for card advantage, you can play Zealous Persecution out of the sideboard, and Zealous Persecution blows them out. You can just kind of sit on top of that deck, but also play a healthy number of basics and you know, really play like a a low mana game with Rug. And I think that Dead Guy could, you know, once the meta settles, could be a pretty cool place to end up. It could. And when we were were having these conversations, you actually were talking about a red splash. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so this whole thing about Kolagon's Command not being playable, and I I don't think we saw any Kolagon's Commands. Maybe that Bowmat deck had, had a couple. I'm not sure, but I certainly don't remember seeing any Kolagon's Commands in the challenge or in uh, Landon's data. And I feel like, you know, you used to always see like a death right in taxes sort of dead guy build where you'd splash green for death right and abrupt decay. Now it seems like you could splash very lightly splash red in dead guy and have Kolagon's command at the top and then have the sideboard option of blasts and grim lava mancer, which are probably the strongest red sideboard cards and just really Kolagon's Command would just really mess up the other Blade decks. We didn't talk at all about Steel Stompy, which hasn't shown up on either of these lists that we're looking at right now, but is a deck that I am reasonably afraid of, and I think that Kolagon's Command would be a great card to have access to in like a dead guy list. You know, It's just another two-for-one. That deck is all about the two-for-ones. So I think that's a, that's a reasonable place to go with that. One card that we've kind of been back and forth on is Freebooter, which you hate, right? It takes a lot to convince me that a card is good enough to break into Legacy. And I know it sees quite a bit of play in Modern, in the Humans deck. And it is a flyer, and it handles equipment well. But I'm not sold. Obviously, it's better than Tide Hollow Sculler because it does fly. And its mana cost is a little bit easier if you're talking about a three-color shell. But that's not something that excites me enough into want to play in that deck. Playing K-Command, that's... That's exciting. But whether or not it would be better against the field than a clean mono-white death and taxes list, I'm just not sure about. Yeah, I feel you. I see where you're going with that. I think that Freebooter is like, you know, a concession to the reality of even if the meta settles in a fair way, we're going to see, you know, 25%, 30% combo. You just need to have that, right? Like, it's a necessary evil. Like, even in the old list, we always saw four scholars. And I think, yes, Freebooter flies, but it's also not an artifact, which is pretty relevant in the post-board games. Like, you hate getting... I guess Colicon's Command isn't around anymore, but, you know, when people bring in, like, the random artifact hate against you, Scholars just get blown up. 
That is true. I think that a dead guy shell versus a death and taxes shell, there's there's obviously some benefits that you get, like your discard out of the sideboard, that can be very impactful in co- the combo matchup. And discard out of the main, too. I mean, the build that I think I was, you know, sort of sketching up was like three Thoughtseize and two Hymns and two Inquisitions main or something crazy like that. Like, I mean, that's, that's just a ton of main deck discard. Yeah, that, that definitely is. So, yeah... I'm not obviously not going to bring it this weekend, but I do think I'm going to bring it to like one of these locals coming up, like, uh, you know, maybe go to a weekly or maybe I'll buy it online and just, you know, just fuck around a little. I have not completely wrapped my head around exactly where I want to be yet. And the testing that we did this weekend helped get there a little bit. The results from the challenge helped a little bit, but I'm not sold on exactly where I want to be in the format. I just know that I want to be doing something that is resilient to mana disruption and has a powerful game plan. I want my I want whatever deck I choose to play to have potentially a solid basic land mana base and be able to be explosive. Yeah, do you have time for one more single card discussion? Yeah. What, what card? do you think about sinkhole? I think it sucks. Really? Yeah. I think when you're talking about threats in Legacy, if we take a look at a lot of these decks that that we sort of said that were in the top tier, their threats cost less than sinkhole. Right. And spending spending two mana in a card to get rid of a land is probably too much. You know, you're absolutely right. Like looking at this, I'd I'd love to have Sinkhole against Eldrazi. I would like to have Sinkhole against Agrolome and full stop. Yeah, I mean, is Sinkhole would Sinkhole actually even be good against Agrolome? They're running 26 lands. Yeah, but bro, it's like a four-color deck. They're always stretched thin. You can always try to choke them on, like, double black or red or, you know, get rid of a grove or something. I, I think land destruction is very good in that matchup. Wouldn't a card like Stifle end up being... Oh, more? yeah, Stifle's not dead there, unless they okay. have a chalice. Unless they have a chalice. In the conversations that we had before, if we are not on board with stifling people's fetch lands and we want to say that sinkhole is going to be good, I find kind of something wrong with that. I know it hits basics, but without doing powerful things alongside of the sinkhole, I can't get behind trying to blow up people's lands for two mana. Yeah, you're probably right. I just really want to play these beta sinkholes. <laughs> I think I think you got a you got a format for that and it's all <laughs> numbers and it's not legacy. Uh, I think you're right. Another card that I, I really want to play, I, I'm not going to be playing it this weekend based on the decks that I'm testing right now, but Grim Lava Mancer seems like the sideboard card that I want the most right now. It does a great job against Delver and Death and Taxes. Kills Bob. Yeah, it kills Bob out of Agrolome, that's, that's true. It does a lot of great things. It kills itself against Dredge to get rid of uh, Bridges. Yep. That's, that is not nothing. I think Grim Lava Mancer is a very good card, and that's one of the cards that was on my radar for my Blue White Red Blade sideboard, which I still haven't completely ruled out. It's very powerful, and I like it in the matchups that I see in this in this challenge data. But it's something that is going to take a little bit more testing for me to be completely comfortable to bring over something like Sneak and Show, where you know exactly what you're going to get with it. Yeah, my feeling was always that the blue-white-red deck was a very reactive sort of mid-range deck that you really needed to know what kind of decks you'd be facing. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I was really high on it 
was our prediction of Rug Delver and Death and Taxes was spot on. And I really like the Blade matchup in those two. Right. So real quick, I just wanted to uh, give thanks to the the amount of content that's come out recently. Like I I've been uh spent a lot of time at the gym, and we've had like Everyday Eternal released a cast, Salt Mine released a cast recently. You know, Leaving a Legacy always they're always releasing casts, but their last cast with Brian Cook was very good. And I believe our friends over at the uh, law firm of Hunter, Michael, and Braverman will be releasing an episode soon. So there's been a lot of great content, honestly. It feels like a resurgence of legacy, right? Because shit was boring before. The old format, how much can you talk about Kyle versus Delver? I mean, nobody was, right? Shit. It was really just stale. I think a lot of people are excited with the changes in the format, and that's why you're seeing more content, and that's great. And I hope that everything continues to change because Legacy has such a large card pool that there are tools to knock down the decks that settle to the top. And if we start to see a sort of cyclical pattern of sideboard hate coming in to knock down the top deck, leaving another deck that is better positioned week after week or month after month, but that's that's the place where you want to be, where if you're really dialed into the format and what people are doing, you can take advantage. Yeah, for sure. But not wind up in like that modern spot, right? Where it's just like a rocks, like a not even a rock scissor paper, but like a just a crapshoot, right? There are a lot of pros that complain about modern as a format because there's too much to prepare for. And you can show up to a tournament and just play against obscure decks that you don't have sideboard plans for because you thought that you were going to play against the top decks and get knocked out in round four. Legacy can be like that. And with the card availability issues, with people being priced out, there are some people that have their deck, and it's their deck and that's all they're going to play. But for the people that do have access to cards to be able to switch, Legacy is a little bit more resilient to that idea than Modern because you always have that Brainstorm, Ponder, Daze, Force, Shell to fall back on that just fits into a bunch of different decks that stop Legacy from becoming modern. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like when I do put some thought into modern, which is pretty rare these days, but it's just a very frustrating, futile exercise. Like It feels like you're giving a puzzle that has no solution, like you're being handed this puzzle. And every time you move a piece, everything else moves. You know, there's really no getting ahead. There's just trying to pick your spots. You know, I think that I can fade this deck or whatever. And with with Legacy, like, you know, looking at these decks, these top decks, you can think of a way to attack, you know, three out of four, four out of five of these decks at once and have reasonable sideboard plans. And I feel like it's not that futile effort. Yeah, I agree. But with with how deep the potential decks that you could play in Legacy are, you're always going to have those tournaments where you show up to where you have your plans for the top five decks, but you play against a 1% deck and two 2% decks that haven't been around in a long time. That sort of falls back on that modern idea where you can have your plan for Death and Taxes, Rug Delver, Miracles, Sneak and Show, and go to an event and not play not play three out of the four of those decks. That's very reasonable. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, though, with this team tournament, you know, that's the format of this weekend's SCG. I feel like, you know, if you're, if you're the Spanish Inquisition or the High Tide guy or whatever crazy deck you're, you know, your pet deck is, your teammates are going to be like, nah, dude, you know, you're playing Delver. And 
I feel like we're not going to see that crazy assortment. Typically in these team tournaments, you do see a lot of like Eldrazi and, and Blood Moon and stuff. Like some of that's a concession to budget and some of it, I guess, is a concession to like finishing rounds. But I don't expect to see a lot of crazy decks this weekend. I don't know. Is that just me? Is that just my read on it or is that a reasonable read? I think you're right that there aren't going to be a lot of crazy decks this weekend. But I think that's more of a function about it being a new format and people wanting to pick something that is that is more solid than bringing some of those fringe tier decks. I think you're spot on about Stompy and Eldrazi just because of card availability issues. I also think that that means in the team tournament there's going to be a little bit more black-red. We saw no black-red top-performing decks in the challenge but there is 100% going to be a significant percentage of people that bring black red to the team tournament because of the deck's cost. Yeah, I know a couple people in this area, you know, that's the deck that they own. And, you know, looking at Landon's data, it looks like it's still a pretty reasonable choice, right? Yeah, I so I didn't want to talk about his his individual records against those decks. It's insane. He was running close to 80% online with people packing extra graveyard hate. Now, he is a master at Black Red. And when I played Black Red online, I lost like 100 points off my rating. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I can make a turn one Grizzlebrand. I'm supposed to keep this. And if they have Surgical Extraction, they have Surgical Extraction, and I would make a turn one Grizzlebrand, and they would have it, and I'd just lose. Obviously, there's like a higher level to play that deck than just always jam. But he has put the time in to be able to play around the hate that everybody's bringing in. And we talked earlier in the cast about how storm pilots take a while to be able to master their deck. And then once they have it, they have it. And they can think through exactly what they have to do. And for normal people that play regular games of Magic, that's really hard. To be patient enough in post-sideboard games with Black Red is something that I just wasn't able to do. All right, well, my opponent would have kept a hand with a Containment Priest, and this just turn one grizzes them. So let's let's jam it. Yeah, I feel you. I really don't think that... You know, if we, if we decided that, that was the best deck for this weekend, it wouldn't be me playing it. I would definitely play it. I have no qualms about playing any sort of deck in any tournament. In fact, the last two modern tournaments that I went to, I brought Hexproof because I thought it was extremely well-positioned. And I did, like, I did very well. But it's a deck that a lot of better players might shy away from because they they don't have any respect for it. Bro, I saw a tweet from, uh, I think it was Lawrence yesterday, that he played against that Hexproof deck in Legacy. He was playing, I, I believe he was playing Rug and got trounced by it. I'm, I'm all for playing Bogles in Modern. There's no way in hell that you can get me to port that into Legacy. In fact is as close to... Actually, you know what? Infect, it basically is the same Infect deck, is though, legacy. Right? Yeah, Infect is Legacy Bogles. Almost the same number of creatures. You're doing the same thing, except you're not casting enchantments. You're just making your guy 10 power. Fuck it. You know what? I'm on board. Let's play Legacy Infect. All right, man. You want to wrap it up? <laughs> yeah. Where can uh, where can people find you if they want to get at you? I guess they can tweet me at ian18125. Uh, you can get at me at tsmileymtg. And you can tweet at the cast at deadformatcast on Twitter and follow us on SoundCloud. I feel trashy telling people to follow us on SoundCloud. Like, I need to go get a face tattoo and yeah. start hyping up 
hyping up my my rap songs that I made in my parents' basement. But seriously, follow us on SoundCloud if you um if you want to hear these casts as soon as they get released. Rest in peace, Extentation. Oh man. For real though. And if you want to email the cast, it's deadformatcast at gmail.com. All right. All right, man. I think that's a wrap.